Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers, all for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Elizabeth Wolf is a lifelong nonprofit professional with expertise in affecting strategic change and facilitating growth for organizations, as well as in assisting boards and organizations through transitions. She also has strength in building philanthropic relationships between nonprofit and for-profit companies, facilitating collaborations and program development. Her particular areas of interest are interim leadership, management of organizations and boards, strategic assessment, organization development, board functionality, and relationship building. A leadership transition can be a very tricky time for an organization to navigate successfully. This is especially true when you're hiring a new leader after the organization's founder. Liz and I talk about why hiring an interim director can be really useful to help organizations work through these transitions well, what transitions have in common with a batch of cookies or pancakes. We also examine why having an interim can be particularly helpful in helping the organization maintain critical relationships with funders and other important stakeholders during that transition, as well as other benefits. We talk about why doing succession planning, even when you're not facing an immediate transition, is so important and what the key elements are that are needed to be part of that plan. We also discuss what people should consider when they join a nonprofit board. Welcome, Elizabeth. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. And please call me Liz. All right. It's shorter. It's shorter. That's true. So Liz, what, uh, what drew you to the work that you do? What's the why? What motivates you in, in the work that you pursue? Well, my usual answer to that is that I've spent my entire career, except for one very brief foray in the nonprofit space. And I generally view that as a calling. I don't know that I ever questioned it. I think from early, early on, I had you know, a desire to do things that helped people and to do work that seemed, whatever this word might mean to people, meaningful. And I never really was pulled in any other direction but to do that kind of work. And it was a path that kind of manifested itself and I followed it. And once I got the hang of it, I was able to make decision after decision to stay reasonably on that path. But I just don't know that it was ever a real decision to embark upon that path. That's interesting because I started out my very first job. I worked for a small business that had a back in the day when you had a paper publication that helped people get on talk shows. And um, it was this very interesting little niche that I was working in and found that I was pretty good at that kind of promotional aspect of, you know, we, we, we were successful in getting our folks on shows. But after leaving that, I really, it was a conscious decision for me to move into the sector because I thought, you know, if I'm going to use these skills to promote causes, I want to promote causes and support things that I really believe in and help people in a way that I think is really functional away from kind of whoever pays the bills is who you're, whose cause you're going to promote. Um, right. 
Yeah, so. I used to call that the dark side. The, <laughs> right. the, the, you know, there were periods of time where I had this thought that, you know, oh, I will go to, you know, work for an agency or, you know, a for-profit company that has a foundation or something like that. And it was this, you know, I would play around with that and I would go on, you know, maybe look for different positions and maybe go on an interview and I would walk out of the interview going, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a fit. And, uh, you know, without really ever questioning it, it just was this, I guess, you know, to me, the, you know, my, my company is called Intuition Consulting, and it was named that because I feel strongly about following your intuition. And it's, a, it's something I recommend to others, but I also, you know, take my own medicine and, and do for myself. And I guess I was not questioning it because I just, did that from the, the start. Yeah, so feeling that alignment, which is great. Yeah. yeah. So you, you serve as an interim director for organizations as part of your work. What would you say organizations gain by engaging an interim? Well, it's so important, the transition period in an organization, especially when they're losing a position like a founder, it's crucial to, to build in some kind of space where everyone can experience what that feels like before embarking on the next phase of their existence. So, you know, I can't say that I do a lot of interim work as the interim, but I do a lot of transition and succession planning with organizations. And I almost always recommend that they consider hiring an interim for that reason. And, and especially with, with a founder and a founder that might have been with the organization for a very long time, it's a big change. And sometimes the it's like when you bake cookies and you know or and when you make pancakes and and the first pancake just doesn't turn out well it's like that if you hire someone too quickly that first pancake just might not turn out that well and that's unfortunate because then the organization is once again plunged into a period of transition which is not really healthy or something i'd recommend but i right. think interim so work is extremely interesting and transition work in general is really important to understand with organizations, especially small or mid-sized organizations that require some degree of stability to anchor them with many of their functions. Yeah, I think just taking that time, and it's hard, I think organizations often want to jump to find that new person as quickly as possible mm -hmm. and beyond to the next thing. Um, but yeah, you don't, you don't want, uh, either the, the, the new person hired to be an accidental interim or almost like a rebound right. no executive director. Yeah. I think that taking the time to have the organization experience a different style of leadership is yeah. important. And it seems like interims can also perhaps deal with things or have conversation, have harder conversations with the, the organizations to get them ready to really set up the next person for success. Yeah, and the statistics about, you know, especially following a founder for new leaders coming in and not being successful is really shocking. So the interim can really be that bridge very successfully for all of the reasons that you just outlined. It's like a palate cleanser. It's a, it's a good thing to try.
Yeah. And what are some of the things that you observe organizations experiencing when they go through those transitions? And of course, there are lots of different types of transitions or even, even within leadership transitions. Well, I've managed a, a few big transitions with several of my clients. And I think the most important one is really ha what the trickle down effect is. It's not really just where it's happening. It's in every relationship that the organization has. And I think oftentimes that's a kind of an, a, a second thought or not maybe not even thought of by the board or by the departing leader or by whoever is left to understand that everybody interfaced with whoever everyone who interfaced with this person is affected by this person's departure and i'm focusing on you know a founder or a former ceo just because that's really the the, the most formative of those relationships but you know, when you have relationships with funders, when those people have those relationships that are very closely held, there's a lot of insecurity and instability that can affect the organization adversely if it's not handled correctly. And oftentimes that's the best reason to have an interim because that person can focus on those relationships. Otherwise, it's you know a board member or maybe a, a secondary staff person that might not be as comfortable relationship building and relationship cultivating as as the leader was and it could be really debilitating for the organization so what are some things that you would say help those major transitions go you know go more smoothly or go better i think giving it the necessary amount of time it's not a quick process. I usually say from start to finish, you know, the succession building process should be very conscious. And it's not a question of, you know, we want to get rid of our leader. It's really more we want to prepare for the eventuality that we may have to replace this person for whatever reasons. I mean, there are good reasons and there are not such good reasons. And there are things that can be planned for well in advance. And unfortunately, there are emergency situations that, that come up that are, if, if you have no succession plan, even a rudimentary one can be even more upsetting and more um, traumatic for the organization. So I think it's really the, that this is always something to consider and that you know, it builds in that amount of breathing space. So you can say, oh, well, now here we are at this crossroads, but we've planned for this. And so we know that, you know, we can manage it using these steps, whether we use an interim or not. Replacing someone doesn't take five minutes. And, you know, I almost always recommend using a search firm, especially for a CEO or any kind of C-suite leader, because, it's almost impossible to manage a search at that level and continue to do regular necessary work. It, with one of my clients most recently, the, the entire process from start to finish took eight months. And that was not an unusual amount of time. It was pretty much the norm. But without an interim and without a search firm, it would have probably taken twice as long. 
So in thinking about kind of, you know, always keeping succession planning kind of front and center, what are some of the things that need to be part of that succession plan? And what are the elements that organizations can do when it's not an immediate need? Well, first, have a really good idea of what that position really is and what it really does from the very tiny day-to-day to the bigger picture, you know, where does this position sit in the organizational structure? And I mean, obviously a CEO is normally at the top of the organizational structure, but, you know, in reality, what does this person's responsibility involve? Do they manage all of the external relationships with funders? Or is that something that is co-managed or taken over by a development person or someone else. Those relationships are really key, as I said earlier, and I think that's really important. You know, an understanding of how engaged the board is with the organization and with that person, usually the the leadership, um, what kind of relationship do they have and can that relationship be managed in a different way once you identify where where all of these succession related kinds of issues lie that's most important i think is really having a thorough understanding of what the connections are it's always nice to be able to say you know under these kinds of circumstances this is the protocol we will follow and you know you can create that it's it, i think again in real life things things happen and times are crazy. I mean, I know an organization that just uh, had their their CEO announce that they were retiring in January and that that this person would stay until they found a replacement and then COVID hit. And all of that had to be rethought because it wasn't really the right time for there to be another kind of major transition, which is fine. And they had, luckily, the CEO was able to say, yes, I will postpone my retirement for, you know, at least another six months. But, you know, everything, you have to be flexible and nimble. And many of smaller and mid-sized organizations are capable of that, which is kind of the good side of things. Yeah, and I think at least having a plan sketched out, you may not follow it exactly, but you're not starting from scratch and you're not having to kind of think through it all as you're also having to then start doing it all. And I think a lot of people, when they hear succession planning, they mistake it for, um, I need to identify who, who I'm grooming as my successor. And it really isn't that necessarily. No, it it can be part of it. I mean, if it's that kind of organization that, you know, has a leadership pipeline, it could be that. Um, But most often, in larger organizations, yes, that is more typical. But in smaller organizations, there's not enough people working there for it to really be an appropriate way of organizing succession. But it is always kind of nice, and and I encourage organizations to do this, to have sort of a, a running list of people that they have in their orbit that could be either someone that they consider in in a search or someone who would they they would consider to be part of a search committee who knows the organization well enough and who's connected enough to the work that is done there that they could be helpful in identifying 
who could be next. Um, so it's it's nice to have a like a sort of advisory group, you know, at your at the ready in case they are needed. And sometimes some of those people could be appropriate candidates. Right, right. Um, so a un you've, we've talked about boards a little bit. A unique aspect of nonprofits is the role of the board in the governance of the organization. W what are some common mistakes that you see boards making, uh, maybe in dealing with succession or maybe more broadly? <laughs> Do we have longer than an hour? I could go on for days with that. <laughs> oh, boards are one of my favorite things, and that is not always an easy thing to say. But I do actually enjoy board work. It's so interesting and multifaceted. And as you say, it's kind of an integral part of a nonprofit's, or it should be an integral part of a nonprofit's organization and functionality. Specific to succession, the board is really key. And I've seen boards really rise to the occasion, which is great. And I've also seen boards that can't and it's not over succession or transition it's really a more deep-seated functionality or dysfunctionality as the case may be um, but but that situation of change kind of exacerbates one or the other or brings it to the forefront i think to go general boards have a great deal of responsibility if they choose to exercise it if they don't choose to exercise it, the organization can still function, but the board does have at a minimum a set of responsibilities in terms of guidance and in terms of, I'll say advising, because it's a more general term and some boards you know, go a lot deeper and some are more strategic. Uh, but at the very least, there's, you know, there are more objective eye on what the organization does and what direction the organization is headed in and how well the organization fulfills its mission on all of these different levels. You talked about founders and oftentimes, you know, a founder will be a very dynamic personality and, you know, just all of that is what helped them create the organization, see the need and then build something, which then oftentimes creates the dynamic of a board that's really following that person and not necessarily in a real partnership. And so then when that founder leaves and they have to step up, it's not the way that things have been done in the past and can be harder and makes that transition particularly fraught. I could not agree more. And that's so common. And, you know, the evolution of a board, I think if they don't view themselves as ever evolving, then they don't ever get to the point where they escape that regardless of what happens on the leadership side you know even when a founder leaves and new leadership comes in if the board is still firmly entrenched in what used to be they're not going to be as effective and it really it, that can be a real recipe for disaster because then you have you know someone coming in new and fresh as a leader who wants to take the organization, you know, to the next level or, you know, in a different direction and the board is stuck. You know, I, I when I do board, you know, co coaching and board development, it's really, you know, to view boards on an ever expanding kind of continuum where they go from this working board as they commonly are in the very beginning um, and, and very much like sheep following the leader, 
to you know something that becomes what's more appropriate for a later iteration of the organization where they they become a governing board and it's a completely different set of skills and that's why board rotation and board transition and cultivating new board members and all of that is so important because the people that you know are present at the birth of an organization are not necessarily what the organization needs you know, five or 10 or 15 years in. Yeah, and oftentimes, you know, sometimes you'll have that very dynamic leader that everyone's following. And in other cases, it may be, you know, kind of a group of people around a kitchen table. And so they've always had kind of a collaborative relationship. But then when they do bring on staff, if they've been so, everybody's been so involved, kind of letting go and, and um, allowing staff to start doing the work that they need to do, that can be equally challenging. And, and at the same time, I think though, boards have an opportunity to then look at, there are other ways to be involved in the organization besides being on the board. When it's small, that may be the only volunteer role. And then that, that board does everything, right? As a working board or a volunteer board um, or all volunteer organization. But then to start differentiating of what do we actually need as a board member? You, know, you want to be involved in this organization because you are very excited about and, and passionate about environmental issues, but you really love getting your hands dirty and doing that stream monitoring. Well, then just, it's fine. Go do that. You know, it doesn't mean, but I think I, a practice as, you know, it's hard for people to then say, oh, well, but we've always had all those people on the board. So how do we do it differently? <laughs> Or, or, or worse, that this is what this is what we've always done. So, the, and and it's not successful anymore. But this is what we've always done. So we're just going to keep on banging our head against the wall because this is all we know. And you know, it's very hard to sort of crack open that door and say, "Look, there's a whole world out there for you," and you know, you could be this, and you could be this, and you could be this except for the fact that you're, you know, looking in your rearview mirror and or living in past. You know, I've experienced all of the all of the scenarios that you that you just went through, um some of them as as a in my pre-consulting life as a as a CEO myself and also, you know, as a consultant and as a coach and they're all very, you know, big and hairy problems that, you know, you you and every board is different. The chemistry is different. You know, the environment that they're in is different. So, you know, as a consultant, you have to visit that with, you know, fresh eyes all the time. Uh, and I, I, that's why I, I always say, you know, even the incremental successes are to be celebrated because boards are so hard to, to move. And it's very rare that you find a board that welcomes this kind of ongoing change and development with open arms. It's, it's much more the case that they are really change averse and, and they really, even when they understand the rationale, they are so terrified to let go of it. I, I it, it's fascinating really. And, um, I'm curious uh, if you if you had someone who was kind of thinking about volunteering on a nonprofit board, um, what's important for them to understand as they step into that role? Well, I think unless they've had previous successful experience 
and and I think because a lot of people come to a board and they they've been on a board before and it may not have been a healthy board and they carry you know all of this with them and then their expectations are very different um, because they either want it to be the same because they don't know any better or they want it to be different because they do and you know depending upon where they're going that may or may not be the case. I like to get them all fresh when they haven't been on a board before and mold them to what they should be. Those are the most successful ones. Um, but I, I think in terms of advice, always be aware of you know, the fact that even though there is a line between what the organization does you know, day to day, their programs and how they execute, and what the board's responsible for, you know, the governments and the guidance and the strategic level stuff, you know, be aware of that difference, but also be aware of where the gray area is where those two things can meet and really be productive because you can't be too far apart, but you can't be too close together. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? So it's really a question of keeping the board from micromanaging what the day-to-day -day of the organization should be. In other words, the board, the board should be responsible for, you know, this 35,000 foot view of the organization. What is the strategy that we're going to implement moving forward in, you know, how are, and how are we going to execute it in the bigger sense? It's the program staff and the CEO and the development staff's responsibility to mold that out of the lump of clay that they're given and make that into you know what kinds of programs are we doing how much are you know are do we have to raise in order to do them who's going to run them who are we going to serve and what are we going to how are we going to measure their success there's a big difference within those two worlds but where they peacefully coexist is in having these kinds of conversations with of translating what this strategic is. So we want to get to this. We want to serve this many people, or we want to execute on our mission by creating program that brings more an awareness of what we do to more people. That's it for the board. They can I outline that strategic framework and hand it over and have you know really productive conversations about what that means. But once that happens, they don't need to be on top of the program staff saying, well, what does the program look like and who's going to teach that? And, you know, what days are you going to do it? And, you know, that's not a good day for me. That's not the board's role. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So on each episode, I play a game uh, at the end where I ask you a random icebreaker uh -oh. question. So if you could have any celebrity to be your best friend, who would you pick? <gasps> Oprah. <laughs> Definitely. Oprah. Tell me why. Tell me why. It's either Oprah or Bruce Springsteen, but I think I'd get along better. I, I don't think I'd be able to talk if I were with Bruce Springsteen. 
Oprah because, well, first of all, I've looked up to her and, and followed her for so long. I feel like I'm already her best friend, although she doesn't know me. Because we read the same books. I've all, I, I almost always read, even sometimes before she picks them for the book club. So we have a lot of common interests. She's funny. She likes to, all different kinds of food. She loves to travel. She's really interested in helping people. I just think we have tons of things in common and we make great best friends. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what are you excited about? What's coming up next for you? What's uh, kind of emerging in your work? So right now I'm in the middle, right in the middle of um, a little interim CEO gig that I'm doing for one of my clients, and that will be concluding at the end of October. And then um, I'm hoping to take a little bit of time off because I need it and deserve it. And I think self-care is very important. I always encourage the CEOs that I coach to make sure that they take good care of themselves because it's not an easy job. It's sometimes a very lonely place. And uh, I would hope that I will be able to do a little bit of work, but a little bit of relaxing between end of October and the end of the year. And, you know, as far as next year is concerned, it's really interesting because I, I never really know. And I think for 2021, I really, really don't know because who knows? Nobody can predict what's going to be happening anymore, I think. And so I'm keeping myself pretty open and not letting that freak me out at all and kind of figuring that whatever comes along will be something that I will be able to consider and not worrying too much about it right now. I, I don't think stress and worry really get you very far. And I've trained myself to really not worry about it. That's great. That's great. So how can people find out more about you and get in touch? So uh, my website is intuitionconsult.com and I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn and I'm very interested in connecting with people for all different kinds of networking and mentoring type things. So I, I would encourage whoever wants to talk to me more to please reach out. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, our conversation. Thank you. Had a great time. I was particularly interested in our conversation about how boards impact the process of transition. So much of that has to do with how the board was formed in the first place. Was the organization founded by a strong, charismatic leader who recruited a group of friends to help it get started? And with that founding story, so often the board will follow that leader and the pattern can be really hard to break out of when the board needs to step up and manage the leadership transition. For organizations that start with a group of people working around the proverbial kitchen table, there can be a sense of collaboration and shared purpose from the beginning. But when they hired staff, are they ready to let go and let staff do their job? Liz says she took the last couple months off. So what are you doing to allow yourself to rest as 2020 comes to a close and we get ready for 2021? I hope you're gifting yourself some time. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. That's missionimpactpodcast, all one word, dot com slash show notes. We want to hear from you. Take a minute to give us some feedback or ask a question at missionimpactpodcast.com slash feedback. Thanks and see you next time.